Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and we're broadcasting nationally on the Community Radio Network. Today, we're going to focus on pensions and penalty rates. First off, we're going to go to the Unemployed Workers Seminar Solving Our Job Agency Crisis, which was on at the end of 2016, before the shit hit the fan about Centrelink's debt scandal. David Thompson, CEO of Jobs Australia, lifts the curtain on some other scandals at the heart of our Centrelink system. Lou Wheeler from Fair Go for Pensioners gives an account of the age pension changes, while Josh Cullinan from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union goes into bat for the Baker's Delight workers who have been shortchanged. But first, some union news. Latest figures from Safe Work Australia show five Australian workers died on the job in the first week of 2017. A 17-year-old worker died after falling 12 metres while helping install a glass ceiling at Perth's old post office building, which is being converted into an H&M clothing store. He was working at the construction site at Forest Place when he fell at around 4.30am. CFMEU State Secretary Mick Buchan said the union was concerned about possible pressure on workers from tight building completion dates. We know the retail industry works on tight deadlines and completion dates. Whether or not that was a contributing factor, working night shifts or not, I don't know, he said. He said it was unusual for construction workers to be as young as 17, but he believed the teenager had been working under supervision. Mr Buchan said the rate of workplace fatalities on construction sites in Western Australia had worsened between 2014 and 2015, the only state where this has happened. A semi-trailer driver was fatally hit by a semi-trailer after being pulled over by police at Kings Park in Sydney's west. He was hit by another passing semi-trailer after he got out to secure his load. Police said the stop was random and a highway patrol officer had spoken to the driver in relation to securing his load on his truck. The ABC reports New South Wales Police Assistant Commissioner Dennis Clifford as saying it was just a terrible accident. With his explanation focusing on the dead man's behaviour, it appears the driver has either stumbled, stepped back or fallen into the path of another vehicle, he said. The following news from America might give some heart to Australian postal workers feeling threatened by possible privatisation whispers and recent advertised parcel delivery services out of office works. The United States Postal Service and Staples deal is over. The APWU, the American Postal Workers Union, was fighting a secretive deal between the US Postal Service and Staples office supply stores that they said jeopardised mail service and local post offices, along with thousands of living wage jobs. 
The Postal Service in Staples launched a no-bid trial program in the autumn of 2013 that established postal counters in 82 of the office supply stores, which they planned to expand to locations across the country. The knock-off post offices were staffed with low-wage, poorly trained Staples employees rather than the US Postal Service employees, said the union. The APWU objected to the program, asserting that the American people have a right to post offices staffed by highly trained, uniformed Postal Service employees who are sworn to safeguard the mail and who are accountable to the people. The union offered to participate in the trial program if the postal counters in Staples stores were staffed with US Postal Service employees, but the postal managers in Staples rejected the idea. After months of stonewalling by the US Postal Service in Staples, in April 2014, the APWU launched a Don't Buy Staples campaign, which was endorsed across the union movement in America. The Staples pilot was an acceleration in the privatisation of retail services and direct assault on our jobs, the union said. It was time to draw a line in the sand. Postal management informed the APWU in writing that the approved shipper program in Staples stores will be shut down by the end of February 2017. This victory concludes the APWU's three-year struggle. The boycott against Staples is over. To see the step-by-step campaign, go to the APWU website. But it's worth noting some words from the president of the APWU, President Mark Dimotstein. If Staples was going to take our work and jobs for their private profit, we were going to hit back and affect their bottom line. A job well done, sisters and brothers, he said. The struggle continues and this victory helps strengthen and steel us for the battles ahead. Finland trials basic income for the unemployed. Under a two-year nationwide pilot scheme, which began on the 1st of January, 2,000 unemployed Finns aged 25 to 58 will receive a guaranteed sum of 560 euros, that's 786 Australian dollars per month. The income will replace their existing social security benefits and will be paid even if they find work. Finland's social security body said the trial aimed to cut red tape, poverty and above all unemployment, which stands in the Nordic country at 8.1%. The present system can discourage jobless people from working since even low earnings trigger a big cut in benefits. It's attractive to the left because of the promise to lower poverty and the more right side of politics see it as a route to a leaner, less bureaucratic welfare system. The concept is steadily gaining traction as automation threatens jobs. While some might see the Finnish basic income experiment as an attempt to establish some equality in society, owners of clothing factories in the Ashulia region of Bangladesh can only be seen to be putting salt into the wounds of inequality. Workers, agitating for a living wage, have been attacked by the factory owners with mass sackings and legal action. The labour unrest started on December the 11th with demands of 16,000 taka as minimum monthly wage for apparel workers instead of the existing 5,300 taka. In Australian money, that is around $275 per month 
versus the lower figure of $91 a month. Police station officer in charge, Mosinul Kadia said on Monday that 10 cases were filed with the police station accusing 1,500 workers, including 150 named workers of vandalism, looting, threatening other workers and assaulting factory officials. Union officers have been vandalised and workers have gone into hiding to avoid arrest. Stick Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. You're on Stick Together with Annie McLaughlin on your local community station through the Community Radio Network. Centrelink is centre stage at the moment because of the computer-generated debt letters that have a faulty logarithm. David Thompson, CEO of Jobs Australia, was at the recent Unemployed Workers Union event solving our job agency crisis. Not only did he preempt the government's desire to sell off Centrelink, he revealed a few other disturbing government desires. David Thompson. Um, if you think things are bad in mainstream Australia, you need to, uh, and I'm, not, I'm making no apologies for some of it. We've been doing a, a lot of work on Indigenous people living, living in remote communities where all of them that are activity tested are required to do five hours a day for 25 hours a week for about 46 weeks of the year. For every year they're on payment of work for the dole. Um, and failure to do that means they or failure to turn up and failure to turn up because they've got sorry business or whatever else, whatever else is happening in their lives means they're suffering financial penalties. The population of Indigenous people living in remote communities is about 35,000 and in the period from June to December last year they incurred something, I think, I need, need to be uh, certain, something like 45,000 significant financial penalties compared with 20,000 significant financial penalties in the same period for the population of job seekers in the mainstream job active system. So 20,000 significant penalties for around 800,000 people and 43,000 penalties for a population of 35,000 people. When the government's done bugger all, uh, well, there's there's two things, and I, I, I can go on, but I won't. One, it doesn't respect the right of those people living in those places on their own land to do things other than participating in the mainstream neoliberal capitalist economy. There are other things that bring meaning and have importance in the cultural life of Indigenous people. But the government set up this sort of proposition that they need to all go go to work for the Dole for five uh, five hours a day for five days a week. They're not allowed to do eight hours on one day, eight hours on another day and nine hours on another day and have two days off. They have to turn up every day. Um, The agencies get penalised if they don't report them, if they don't turn up. So it's an incredibly punitive system. But the government... I'm going to do something that's going to worry you and and if it worries you, it might be very helpful. The government tried last year to introduce a bill in the Senate to give the job agencies the power to make decisions about financial penalties. 
Now, currently, and for years, we've had a system where the job agencies make recommendations, but a lot, an awful lot of their recommendations aren't upheld by public servants that make the decisions in the Department of Human Services um, because they're trained to operate with reasonableness, to apply the principles of administrative law and all the rest of it. The government and Nigel Scullion, the Minister for Indigenous Affairs, couldn't get that legislation through the Senate last year. It's an amendment to the Social Security legislation. There was a Senate inquiry about that. We and others gave evidence to say this is going a very big step too far in this system. And a couple of weeks ago in Brisbane, Scullion announced that he's going to pursue the bill to go that step of giving the contracted job agencies the power to make the final decisions about people's income support. Now, I say, and I've been saying for years, that's crossing a Rubicon we should never go anywhere near. The people that were really good at helping people, engaging with people, just establishing relationships with people, um, being effective and trusted case managers and all that, they all disappeared when in 2003, as I said, the government introduced a system that was more about hassling than helping. But importantly, it was also much more about the government deciding what happened to who, when, how, etc. There were 4,000 pages, A4 pages of rules to be followed by the job job agencies, 4,000 pages of rules, and 146 different types of outcomes. And in terms of data collection, the job agencies transmit roughly 3.5 million data reports to the computers in Canberra every day. Nowhere in the world does this happen, but in this system, the government is able to surveil what's happening with every job seeker in every agency. So the government, if it gets the legislation through, and presumably it will, uh, the legislation is to change the Social Security Act to allow them to pay people, uh, young people, 100 bucks a week incentive, which will be not income tested and tax free, to participate as interns in unpaid work experience. Um, unpaid work experience has been around forever. It's been around for a very long time. Where it's short and where it's voluntary uh, and where it's carefully managed, it can be a really good and useful thing. But we've been saying to the government, you need to watch things like health and safety. You need to watch things like people being treated badly. And at very least, you should not allow them to be taken on in enterprises where they're working when people would otherwise be paid penalty rates. And they're saying, well, why wouldn't we do that? Because in the hospitality and retail industries, that's just the normal pattern of work. We're starting to see the creation of underclass of Australian workers called interns actually as something that's being offered. Uh, it's at this juncture only voluntary but something that's been offered to employers as a sort of unpaid trial employment, which used to be illegal.
We're talking to Lou Wheeler, who is a member of Fair Go for Pensioners, and uh, she's also a part-aged pensioner. So you're a perfect person to talk to about the federal government's changes to the aged pension. Has it affected yes, you personally? Right. <laughs> uh, no, it hasn't, because uh, my partner still works part-time, So, but I can well appreciate... Um, what's happening to people who it has affected. You know, that's very serious for those who um, are going to lose their entitlement altogether. Um, and that's some uh, 91,000 age pensioners. Um, another 235,000 age pensioners will have their pension payment reduced and um, means that, um, you know, their, uh, their living standard will go down as a consequence of that. We all know that trying to live on... Um, an age pension, even if it's part or full, unless you've got other sources of income and uh, many don't, then uh, you're living in very, uh, very uh, frugal days, if not uh, in poverty. If you look at the figures, it would seem to me that it is targeting, directly targeting pensioners who have homes. That, well, that's right, yes. You know, you may be... Um, a married couple or whatever, and it may well be your only asset. So you might be asset rich, but income poor, and you can't eat your house. And I went to a, a seminar about this from the big end of town at the end of last year, and oh. they were outlining the fact that there was a certain percentage, maybe about 30% of the population, that uh, own their homes uh, that could be targeted for, uh, you know, for, so that they could release their properties so that they could then uh, self-support themselves in their old age and also <laughs> release their properties so that, I presume, developers could uh, take them on. How, how totally extraordinary is that, that you're being asked to um, to sell your house, is that basically, or take out a reverse mortgage, and That's at the right. moment those reverse mortgages do not have um, protections. We've seen it in the past where people end up, um, you know, not understanding the compounding nature of the interest that they're involved in and end up um, <laughs> owing owing money at, at the end of the day rather than, uh, than um, you know, not. So it's it's not at all sensible to tell people to to sell their their only asset and then be either what out on the street to downsize to to leave their communities to leave where the amenities are and to go where miles out of out of um, the areas that they uh, that they know and their communities to um, to try and find uh, cheaper cheaper rent because if they're wanting wanting you to uh, replace the the um, government support um, with supporting your own um, entitlement, <laughs> well, entitlement, your own pension. I mean, that's just really quite ludicrous. I mean, the other thing is that in all of this, it seems to be ignored, Annie, that um, people have worked all of their lives um, for this entitlement, paid high levels of taxation. It's changing now. It didn't then when we're talking about people who are already retired. Um, on the basis that there would be um, an entitlement to a pension at the end of the day. And now, of course, uh, the, the, the top end of town who can afford to actually hide the properties they have in um, family trusts and in super, uh, you know, incorporated accounts um, 
that that, um, that means that um, they don't sell it because it's not shown as a family home. Yeah, They're it's pretty outrageous, again, isn't it? Oh, it's it's I mean, it's ludicrous. I mean, if you do a cost-benefit analysis of it in terms of where that thinking takes you, it's just going to be we're going to have more and more poor people living in poverty. There's not enough housing as it is. In Victoria, our public housing stock has gone down to 3%. We already have a widening inequality gap, and this is the sort of thing that you get from, from the top end of town. I mean, what about their tax concessions. What about them paying their fair share of tax so there is enough? You're on Stick Together with Annie McLaughlin. Union News, Workers' Stories. Produced at 3CR Melbourne, distributed by the Community Radio Network and heard on your local community radio station. We finish off today with an update on the penalty rates fiasco that is Baker's Delight, where workers have been receiving as low as $8 an hour for working on Saturday and Sunday. I'm talking to Josh Cullinan, who is an official at the uh, newest union, the uh, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. The Baker's Delight um, is one of uh, Australia's largest uh, retail chains and it's worth uh, well over $100 million. And they operate 600 franchise and company-owned stores throughout Australia. And they also own a, a series of stores in other countries, um, uh, particularly in Canada um, and expanding into the US. And uh, in Australia, and particularly in Victoria, um, they have a set of agreements which go back um, up to 11 years where um, they basically strip the uh, penalty rates, uh, that's weekend and weeknight rates, as well as overtime and casual and other rates from uh, many of the low-paid workers that work in their stores. So, did the workers come to you? Uh, no, well, we've known about the issue for some time. Uh, I was involved with uh, terminating a Baker's Delight agreement um, some uh, eight or nine years ago with uh, another union, uh, Unite, um, and uh, that was cutting the wages of workers. And um, an activist, um, Mel Gregson, um, has been working with a group of uh uh, Baker's Delight workers now for several months um, and we've been working with Mel. Mel's been um, helping the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union uh, a good deal over the last couple of months and uh, and uh, we've been working with her to see how we can go about organising these workers. One of the problems that happens is if, if an agreement's terminated, it's too easy at the moment for the employer to go about um, simply negotiating a new agreement which continues to cut the penalty rates and other arrangements of workers. Um, so we're very keen and what we're focused on is organising these workers simultaneously with terminating the agreement and negotiating a new, better agreement so that they're not left worse off um, following any agreement termination. It's hard to think that they could be worse off. Uh, the One of the... Uh, it's a spokesperson for Baker's Delight is quoted as saying... Uh, and this has got uh, uncanny uh, resemblance to Coles at the Fair Work Commission uh, when it was lo- when you were looking at uh, the fair uh, overall test for workers uh, th- with a deal that was made with SDA. Uh, they were talking about how we supply flexibility for young people to work on Saturday and Sundays. Uh, this argument of flexibility is uh, quite bizarre, it seems to me. 
Oh, look, what, happened, what has happened here is Baker's Delight has been caught out exploiting and ripping off uh, young women. But the vast majority of these workers are 14 to 18-year-old young women working uh, on the front counter of Baker's Delight stores. Uh, and they've been caught out, ripping them off on a huge scale. We, we've got uh, members now that um, are being underpaid the minimum, and we've got lots of members who are simply being paid no penalty rates at all. And so they're being paid the very minimum award rates with no penalty rates because they can legally get away with it with, under these 11-year-old agreements. Um, and we've got a whole range of other circumstances which are applying um, in terms of wages, and, and you can imagine in workplaces that are prepared to do this to um, the young women working in their stores. The other issues, such as um, working um, working for no pay at certain times, um, uh, young workers under 18 uh, closing up and opening up shops, uh, horrendous OHS issues. All those sorts of things are now coming to the fore as we talk to these workers and offer them a real solution through organised labour in their stores. Um, and uh, these companies, uh, and Baker's Delight head office in particular, are making a fortune out of this exploitation. And it's no doubt that they're trying to grasp at straws um, to suggest that you know these young workers, and we're talking here about year 10, year 11, year 12 students who would much prefer to be doing... Um, to be getting paid the penalty rates and be doing less hours so they can focus on their studies or spend time with their family or do other things with their lives or earn more money, um, it's ridiculous that they would suggest that somehow they're doing a favour for these workers. And what they're getting away, getting away with is, um, is exploitation on a level which would be unacceptable to the vast majority of Australians. And um, we're hopeful that over the next couple of weeks we will um, launch the first cases to terminate these agreements as well as organise um, these workers and um, commence action to secure a fair agreement. Uh, so I think it's been a week since the um, article in the paper. We've already had several meetings in various stores with workers um, and the, the application of agreements is quite diverse. So we've got some, some agreements which cover um, 50 or 60 stores and we've got other agreements which cover just one or two stores. Um, we're, we're at the moment um, organising meetings for this week um, in other, um, other parts of Victoria and the hope is that by the end of January we will have already launched our first um, case, so sort of case in the Fair Work Commission to terminate agreements as well as um, be finalising logs of claims in several stores to commence negotiating new agreements and it will be at that time that we'll be looking for the solidarity of uh, other workers throughout Melbourne um, and Victoria to um, support these young women in securing better agreements. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to David Thompson, Lou Wheeler, Josh Cullinan for talking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and heard on your local radio station. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.